Welcome to The Giving Experience. This podcast is a journey into our hearts and souls to grow more connected with our maker and one another through the practice of generosity in all things. You'll hear stories of how people have been impacted on both sides of the giving experience. Join us in childlike wonder as we explore and become more aware of where God is breaking through in these miracles that saturate the world around us every day. We are your hosts, Chad Howard and Brent Tayed. And today we have a very special guest, Tim Garul, who I am just thrilled for you guys to hear his story. I know he has tons of stories, so we're probably going to have to have you come back multiple times. I can't even begin to tell you guys, I don't think he has any idea how freaking special he is. I've known him for a very short period of time, maybe what, a year or so now? Yeah, probably about a year. And in that short year, we got connected through a tribe we're in together called GoBundance. And literally every minute I've spent with you, Tim, has been so impactful. Like talk about somebody with a servant's heart that is just there to add value and help people. Clearly not worried about yourself in life. You were worried about like, how can I make life better for other people? So we get to talk today with an army ranger for one. So we're dealing with a a real badass here that's been through some extreme stuff and survived to tell about it. He's also got a great podcast, the Dynamis podcast, which I'll let you explain, Tim, but it sounds like it's basically anybody that's on a pursuit to learn and improve and get better in all things. How did you come up with that? Yeah. It, first of all, thank you for welcoming me to the show. And, and Chad, those are very kind words. And in fact, it made me a little emotional hearing that because, you know, you just bury your head and you put your head down and, and grind. And um, yeah, man, to to hear you say those things made me emotional. And, and I just appreciate this relationship so much. I'm just so honored and blessed to be here recording this podcast today. But the Dynamis, just quickly, I spent five years in a special operations unit called the 75th Ranger Regiment. And at the time, there was a fiction book that was incredibly impactful to me called Gates of Fire. And in this book, it's all about Spartans. And Spartans were defending the only free society in the world at the time. And Persians were advancing across the world and essentially enslaving the world. And the Spartans would put their kids through this training program called Agogi. They would take them from their mom when they were 12 years old and put them into being a professional soldier. It was the only nation in the world that had a professional standing army full-time devoted to do nothing but defend freedom and liberty. And and how they did that is they transformed them into these servants and they instilled deep inside of them this trait, this dynamis. And, And in the book, it was explained that the dynamis is this spirit inside of you that drives you forward even when you physically and humanly cannot when you're bleeding out tired hungry when you've given up when you have nothing left inside of you it's the dynamis that allows you to stand up and advance forward and as i started to do more research about dynamis it means strength and empowerment in this perpetual journey forward and and this quest for improvement but then also and and of course i'm gonna have to come back and provide some context here In some translations of the Bible, dynamis is mentioned as strength. Mm -hmm. The word has always been impactful for me. I almost started a brewery one time when I was in college. I built this brewery in my garage and I was like, oh, I should call it like dynamis brewing. I just love that word. It stuck out to me and I never knew why. And I was sitting in church one day and they delivered the sermon and they mentioned dynamis in a specific translation. And I was like, that's it. I'm using this word. And I started the dynamis podcast and it's all about people getting to the next level and, and living up to the full potential that God put them on this earth to to be and to live. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. I would encourage anybody, check out the Dynamist podcast. It's very real, very authentic. And what I really appreciate about it, Tim, is that you're clearly on the journey and you show a lot of humility through it. And you have a heart for inspiring and helping others and even though you are on the journey, you recognize there's so much power in bringing others along with you. So those of you listening today, check out the Dynamis podcast, learn more about the background on Tim. I promise you, you'll come away <laughs> with some really good wisdom and be inspired. In our prior episodes, we talked about how Jesus really wants an abundant life for us. At nowhere in that does Jesus tell us that abundance means a lack of suffering. And I think that's a really important like dichotomy for us to recognize. Absolute abundance comes through suffering. We've had this conversation. I've heard you talk about it, Tim, on your podcast as well. And we also have this mutual thread of Andrew Anderson, great coach. So Andrew, if you're listening, I feel like you need to sponsor this podcast because <laughs> I think we've mentioned your name on every 
every episode we've had. So thank you for the impact you've had on us as well. One of the things that Andrew says, and it, it's so true, is why is this happening for you instead of why is this happening to you? And for us to just constantly ask ourselves that question, I think is really powerful. So anyway, I'm doing too much talking. I want to hear from you. You had mentioned there's a specific moment in your life, Tim, that you felt like this was the moment that God really spoke to you. And I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. Driving here, I had concern. I was like, man, what am I going to talk about on this episode? Because I was listening to the preface of an episode that you guys had recorded previously. And really, the theme that really drove home for me was submission. When we submit and let God really lead instead of us forcefully trying to power through in our human wants and desires, that all these miracles open up. And I was thinking like, all right, well, what is the story I'm going to tell? And had a couple things in mind. And, and sitting here before the episode started, we talked about a couple different themes. But as we've opened up this podcast now, I'm just on the fly, we're going to switch. And in order to do that, I just want to quickly lay the, the groundwork of my background and childhood. Yeah, please do. I didn't know Jesus from a young age. I just didn't. I grew up in a household. My mom was Jewish, actually. So we celebrated Hanukkah and Passover, Jewish holidays. I went to temple on Friday nights. And my dad was Catholic. And my dad grew up pretty devout Catholic, went to a private all-guys Catholic high school. And so the summary is I grew up as a confused child. I never felt a relationship or the presence of God. I was just very confused. The story didn't make sense to me. And my parents were incredible parents, loving, but it was clear that their faith wasn't the center of the marriage, right? They were not equally yoked when they met. And so faith was like this thing that I said I was. I'm Christian or I'm Catholic or I'm Jewish, but it wasn't an identity. I had no relationship with God. And so I grew up kind of confused and my parents got divorced, which is not a huge head scratcher. They just, they were not aligned in so many ways. Mm -hmm. And I joined the army out of high school. So I I left and it was during my time in basic training that I picked up a camo Bible and I started reading the Bible in my bunk at night. I don't know why. I just, it was comforting, right? I was missing home. And I remember I didn't really know how to read the Bible or where to start. And I, I literally picked it up and I started reading Genesis and I read through Genesis and the story went great and it was flowing. And then I would skip ahead and I would be confused and, and none of the context made sense. And I kind of just had this relationship of I was reaching. I wanted to know God more and I didn't really know how to do it. So I finished basic training and I went to airborne school and I went to ranger selection to get to go try out for the 75th Ranger Regiment is a special thing. And the attrition rate is incredibly high. Not a lot of people make it. Do you know the, the stats behind that by chance? For those of our audience that aren't familiar with just how high level and badass a ranger is and and how extreme it is. At the time that I went through, there was about a 90% attrition rate of going to selection. And to go to selection, you had to, one, qualify to go to airborne school. So you had to be at the upper echelon of your basic training class. Then you would have to go to airborne school, qualify airborne school, and pass a physical fitness test to go to selection You'd get dumped off at selection, and there's stories about how they pick you up for selection. The whole entire process is a mind game, okay? So everything is unknown. You don't know what's happening next. They pick you up in the middle of the night, make you run to selection, carrying all your bags. It's just like chaos, right? Let's just say you started with 100 people. I think I graduated with 10 or 12. Wow. Really curious. What was going through your mind that allowed you to have the resilience? I can only imagine myself being put through the the stuff that you had to go through and yeah i'll be really honest with you i would like to tell you that i was just this hercules badass but that is not the case there's two things that were front and center in my mind and i would say the biggest the biggest one was fear i was scared i was scared to not succeed because when i went to basic training i was surrounded by people and not to sound arrogant But I just felt like, oh, no, I made a huge mistake. I do not belong here in this group of men. My bunkmate couldn't read. People from all over who maybe needed the military, maybe they were slinging drugs or something. And I did not expect that. Number one, I grew up with these principles of anything you do, you do it 100% and you don't quit. So if you're going to do something, you better do it all the way and you better show up every day and give 100% effort. Right away, that kind of pushed me to the front of the group. I was noticed. My PT scores were really well. I wrestled all through high school, which Mm. was the second principle that really got me through. 
my physical fitness was incredibly high because I wrestled and my high school wrestling coach was a maniac, I guess is the best way <laughs> to be quite honest with you. I, I was never physically challenged as hard in the military as I was with my high school wrestling coach. He was a, wow. he was a suffering alcoholic with a struggling marriage who was kicked out of college. He, he came from a Olympic wrestling family. And he wrestled for Iowa, which obviously is a well-known wow. wrestling school. He was a four-time high school state champion, a two-time national champion, and he was on his way in college and he got drunk in a bar fight in college and he uh, souffled a bouncer at a bar and gave him permanent brain damage and he was kicked out of school. And so this guy was kind of in a spiral when I met him and he took a lot of those demons out on my high school wrestling team. And so by the time I graduated my senior year, there was only three wrestlers left. I was one of them. There was two others. You already been through basic training. I'd already been through basic training because you couldn't quit. Right. So when I got to the military, I was really, really good shape. You know, I worked all summer. We're going to back up a little more. I I went and lived with my dad when I was a kid. My parents split up and I went and lived with my dad. And my dad is a, an amazing, loving man who just poured so much love into me, made me believe I could truly accomplish and do anything I, I wanted to do, but wasn't uh, the best financial manager. And so my childhood was really full of turmoil. There, we, I lived in a car and storage units. And so for me to play sports through high school, you know, for me to go out and do things that I really wanted to do, which isn't such a bad thing, you know, I had to work. So I worked full time. So I knew I was going to the military. I worked manual, hard physical manual labor. I worked multiple jobs. I was logging. I was pulling trees out of the forest. I was working on fencing companies. And when I decided that I was going to join the military, I told my parents I was going to go. It was a time of war. You know, I remember the day that those towers fell in 9-11 and it changed my life. And I, I couldn't go fast enough. I couldn't get out of school fast enough because I, it was my obligation to go give back. I believed so fully in the principles that America offered that I, I had to go defend it. And so I just couldn't wait to go. And my mom wouldn't let me join the military. She didn't want me to go. I wanted to join early. And so I actually told my parents that I was going to go spend the night at a friend's house. And I flew to an in-processing station in Utah enlisted in the army over the weekend and came back home and didn't tell my parents until I walked across the stage at graduation. Holy cow. Wow. Yeah. But as I was getting ready to go to the army, I was working on a fencing company. I worked on a cattle ranch growing up. So I worked with cows and I was working on a fencing company, putting up a uh, agricultural barbed wire fence and it was all manual labor. So I would manually be pounding fence posts into the ground and stringing wire and every other fence post, I would do 50 pushups and every other fence post after that, I would do, you know, 50 sit-ups and air squats. So I'm doing manual labor, doing fitness as I'm, you know, each fence post. And then I'd get off work and I'd go for a run or a 20 mile bike ride. I was just prepping, you know, I was trying to prep. I was reading psychology books on combat, on fighting, on what happens when you're in your first gunfight and how common is it to pee your pants or defecate yourself. <laughs> you know, I wanted to know, I was yeah. preparing my mind. So, you know, between wrestling and really just being mentally prepared for what I wanted to do. I arrived, I was in peak physical fitness. I was pushed to the front of my group. I was given the option to go to selection. I went to selection and the truth is, is like, okay, I was fit, but I'll be completely honest with you guys. My mind was pretty weak in a sense. I had never been that far from home. I was scared. There was fear every day. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. Totally just Satan, like planting these mm. seeds, right? Like you're, you shouldn't be here. And I look back on that time now and I think like, wow, I really just squeaked by. Like somehow they didn't notice me. Every day I would show up at selection, I would still be there. And I would think they didn't notice me. I got so lucky. I'm just going to try to not be noticed today and the next day and the next day. And the truth is to, to finish selection, I was terrified to go to the regular army. And so it was really fear that motivated me and which makes it sound less cool. But I was just scared to go and deploy with a bunch of gangbangers and people that couldn't read, which makes me sound arrogant and maybe terrible, but that's really what pushed me and fueled me through selection. That and as they were breaking my mind, they would do these insane movements. They would do things, they'd play tricks on your mind, physical feats, you know, where you, you would just be on the verge of, of quitting. And it was just a total mind game. I had been in that headspace before. There was a familiarity of, of like being broken down from wrestling. And so the combination is what 
I think squeaked me across the finish line. <laughs> wow. The yeah. power of fear, huh? Totally. So the point of that story is <clears throat> I got selected and they sent me to second ranger battalion up here at Fort Lewis, Washington in Tacoma. And my roommate, this is where the story kind of gets cool with God. My roommate's dad was a pastor and it was this crazy opportunity where it was just, we were totally disarmed to one another because we were vulnerable. We were suffering. We were training. We were deploying. We were on this just cycle, deploy, come home, deploy, come home, where I was curious about God. I wanted God in my life, but I didn't really know how to approach it. And having this like disarmed relationship, because I think, you know, for a non-Christian wanting to enter into a relationship with God, it can be really intimidating to approach other Christians and ask questions and have conversation without feeling judgment of why don't you know these things or why didn't you grow up this way, sure. which is actually something really important to identify to, I think, non-believers and how you ap approach the gospel and, and spreading the word of, of Jesus. And, and for me, this was a really interesting and awesome foothold for me to get in the door and ask questions, but be my authentic self, right? Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't ashamed to be who I was and still ask these questions because we were suffering together. We were kind of bonded in the suffering and the turmoil of deployment. And I remember my relationship with God started to grow. I, I didn't intimately know God, but I was starting to date God, as I would say. And I would come home on vacation and my friend's dad, my best friend's dad was a pastor. And I remember one time he just put his hands on me and prayed. And here's like a spark for me it was the first time in my life where I felt like the levity of God. I felt like the presence of God. I felt like the weight of this world was just lifted off of me. He just physically touched me and prayed specifically for me. And nobody in my life had ever done that in that way. And it, it, it instantly lit a fuse. It wasn't the catalyst. It wasn't what tipped the scale towards me coming to God, but it, it made me so curious that I was like, all right, I, I need to understand more about this. And I started to pray on deployment cycles. And at the time, I didn't pay attention to my prayer as much as I do now and the things that came of it. But there was one particular instance where I was getting on an aircraft. We were on a Chinook and we would fly in Afghanistan. We would fly everywhere. And I was a team leader at this point and I had my team and we were walking on the aircraft and I had done this thousands of times at this point. And, you know, I was having a conversation with my friend about prayer and as I was walking out to the aircraft, same routine, I just was struck all of a sudden like, hey, you should pray. Like you should just stop and pray. And so I pulled my team off to the side before we boarded the aircraft. I didn't even know how to pray. I felt like you had to pray in a specific way. And I was like, God, just ask for your protection tonight. You know, why? I'd never done that before ever. And we loaded the aircraft and we flew. And as we were right out off the target building, we were, the birds were starting to flare. We we're coming around this canyon. And, and I remember I was standing on the back of the aircraft the Chinooks have these ramps off the back and I had my arm on a metal bar that we have these fast ropes. You could slide down the ropes. And I was looking through the back of the aircraft. The ramp was down. I had my night vision on, my gun was slung and I had a, a hand up in the air on this bar of this aircraft. And out of nowhere, this like sparkler from the left to right came and went through the rotors of our, of our aircraft. And a second one came and blew up right off the back ramp of our aircraft. Felt like a donkey just kicked me in the in the chest and you know I don't know if you guys know the story of extortion 17 but it's an aircraft full of navy seals that were shot with an rpg it was in a similar canyon in a similar place and for years I never thought about that moment of praying before I got on the ramp you know and it's later in life when you kind of have time to take a pause and contemplate you know and I'm not saying like my one prayer had a divine intervention in our outcome that night, but I, I started to pay attention to how I was praying and when I was praying. And back to your initial question. I'm was glad a, you remember it because yeah. I don't remember my initial question. <laughs> well, back to your initial question of you said that like there was a, a singular moment that I can point to now as an adult and as somebody who, who follows Jesus and, and devotes my life to Jesus. I can close my eyes and if you say, what is the single moment that you really dedicated your life to Christ? and I was home from the military. I was in college and it, I was struggling as a lot of veterans do. I wasn't like suffering from alcoholism or depression, but things were unbound, right? I had no purpose. There was a lot of questions that I had unanswered for things, you know, war is a terrible thing. 
I remember I started to ask a lot of questions. I was a firefighter at the time, and one of my firefighter friends, he was a brand new person. He showed up, you know, a new guy, and he was like a youth pastor at this church. And every single night after dinner, I would just pull him aside and ask him a million questions. And at first, it seemed really attacking, like I was digging in. But I think he understood later on, like, oh, this guy's like literally just trying to search for answers. And I'm super brash. Yeah, like super brash. And um, he's like, hey, man, you should start praying. And I'm like, okay, well, how do I do that? You know, like, do I have to say like our father who, you know, like, how do I pray? He's like, dude, you, you literally just talk to God. I'm like, I can anything. He's like, yeah, man, think about it like this. If you are a dad or you're a son and you have a dad, do you want your kid to come to you every single day and say, dad, how can I serve you today? Dad, what can I do for you today? You know, do you want your son to approach you and say, father, whom I love and trust every single day? Or do you want, do you just like crave and desire a relationship with God? Like, do you want your son just to spend time with you and, and talk to you and commune with you? Like, think about the love that he feels for you. He just wants time with you. And I was like, okay. And I'm a really disciplined person. So if I make a goal, I I tend to like be very disciplined in revisiting those goals. And so I was like, okay, I have to incorporate this into my life to where it's not a heavy lift. And so I'm going to start praying every single day. And there's no better time to pray than when I'm driving in my car or when I'm in the shower. So every time I'm in my car, I'm going to pray. And every time I'm in the shower, I'm going to pray. It was around that time that I got a free trip to Israel to go on a Christian pilgrimage. My It's a crazy story, but okay. <laughs> I got a free trip to Israel, and I went to Israel, and I was engaged at the time to a woman who is not my wife right now. And she didn't know Jesus, and I was wanting to go to church. And when we met, she initially wanted to come to church with me, but then almost immediately was like, Hey, let's do this thing instead or this. And so I think I was kind of like led to believe she was a Christian, but as a newer Christian, I should have asked deeper questions. And next thing you know, I was off the pattern and habit of communing with God, of going to church. And so I got this trip to Israel and I went. And as I was flying to Israel, I just spent like hours in meditation, like trying to focus on God. Like, God, I want to be intentional with this trip. I really want to commune with you. I want to know you, God. I want to love you. I want to, I want to walk with you. And they always say like, if you don't speak it or if you don't mean it, don't speak it because God will (laughs) deliver. So I'm planning, I'm like writing in this journal, all these things I'm going to pray for when I'm in Israel. And I'm on, you know, I'm there and I'm, I'm just like witnessing these incredible things. You know, I'm, I'm in Jerusalem and I'm in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and I'm like looking at the Bible coming alive, you know. And I remember, I don't know, you're familiar with the, the Wailing Wall in, mm-hmm. in Jerusalem. And I was like, okay, I'm going to pray this specific thing about my marriage when I go to this Wailing Wall. And so I planned it out. Like, I'm going to pray for, you know, my marriage to be blessed with this particular person. And I got to the wall and I started praying. And God, this is one of the first times in my life where I felt like God spoke to me when I, when I went to pray in this particular moment. I feel like he, like, it was one of the first times in my life where I felt like God came down and intervened in a prayer that I was about to make. And he says, you are not going to pray for this marriage. You are going to pray for a godly wife. And you are going to pray to be used as a tool to expand my kingdom. And I was like, okay, uh, that's what I prayed for. And I started praying for that. I was like, all right, God, instead of praying for this wife, I'm praying for a godly wife. And I was engaged at the time. I was dating this woman for five years and we were about to get married in three months. And I was, you know, so I'm praying for a godly wife and I'm praying to be used as a, as a tool to expand the kingdom. I came home from Israel and I was just, I was just overcome, right? Like, I, I don't even know how to explain. I just started praying for things and, and, prayers were just like showing up. I would pray and it would show up and I'd pray and show up. And I don't know if you've ever been in a phase of your life where it just feels like everything you're praying for is just blossoming and blooming. And you could just see like God's love all around you is, is in that moment. And I remember there was a, a couple day period where I couldn't get a hold of, of the girl I was engaged to. And so I got worried and I drove. She was in Kansas a couple hours away. Couldn't get a hold of her for a few days. And I started to get pretty worried. Obviously, we're like getting married. Yeah. I, it's weird. I don't hear from her. I drive to Kansas and I show up and lo and behold, uh, she was engaged in a relationship with a different person. And it's really While odd. you guys Once, were engaged? While we were engaged. Yeah. And wow. 
Totally. And and here's the weird part, okay? Before I've done a lot of self-development. I really have in the in the last couple of years. I have a long way to go. I'm not perfect, but at the time of this relationship, I will honestly admit I was unhealthily codependent. Okay, so that relationship to me was very important for a lot of unhealthy, ungodly reasons. And one of which I think, you know, my parents' divorce when I was a kid had a big impact on me. And in my mind, I, you know, Listen, if you're in a relationship, that's it. Even if it's like wrong and and you shouldn't be in this yeah. relationship, that's it. But something really weird happened to me. Even in in my unhealthy codependency, as I showed up, I was like destroyed the human side of me. Mm-hmm. Right away, God was like, I told you to pray for a godly wife. And it was almost like a faucet came down and shut it off. And I was like, wow, okay, well, this sucks, God. Like this really sucks, you know? But if you're leading me this way, then I'm going to be led, you know? And so why went, is this happening for me? Totally. Yeah, totally. Which is not, was not in my toolbox at the time. As I showed up in, a, in my brokenness and God was like, I told you to pray for a godly wife. It occurred to me like, hmm. we are not equally yoked and you are not a godly wife. Not to say that you can't come, but we're not equally yoked. And, and I'm on a different journey than you are. And I like, this is not to be a godly marriage and I'm in recognition of that. And it's weird because for the first time in my life, the human side of me was totally reacting one way and the spiritual side of me was balancing the other. And it's like, for anybody who's ever experienced something like that, I don't know how to articulate or explain that because the man side of me was just destroyed and I wanted her to know how upset I was and know how much she hurt me. The spiritual side was like, all right, move on. Like it felt like God just came down, wrapped his arm around me and was like, listen, dude, I know this sucks, but trust me, I got it. And so it was during that time where I, I remember like <laughs> I was all emotional one night and I was crying and I like fell to my knees and I was like, okay, God, you know what? I prayed for this and I trust you and, and I don't understand. And I feel like I'm driving down the highway going 60 miles an hour. And you told me to close my eyes and take my hands off the steering wheel. And the human side of me doesn't want to do that, but I, I'm going to submit and I'm going to listen. I'm going to trust you. And I said, God, my face sale is open. I'm going to submit to you. Mm. Here's where everything started to just pick up momentum. You surrendered. I totally yeah. surrendered. I totally surrendered. And part of why I was so distraught is because I was 30 years old at the time. Okay. And I, I really wanted kids. You know, when I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, I was fighting. All I could think about is what a tragedy it would be if I never knew what it was like to kiss my baby, to play with my kids, to watch my children grow and have grandchildren. All, I would think, you know, I'm 18 years old fighting a war and I would, I would envision my family, my kids, and I just wanted it so bad and I'm 30 and I feel like I'm running out of time and I'm engaged and it's almost there and it's taken away and here I am distraught and God's like, listen, come with me, submit, you know, and, and I'm like, okay, God, you got it. I want to rewind the story for a little bit. And here's where my wife comes into play. My wife, I won't tell her full story. My wife is an immigrant from Mexico. So she came when she was three years old, I believe. And she came across the border and she grew up in a neighborhood in Orange County, California. And she met her high school sweetheart in high school. His name was Tommy McPherson. And Tommy McPherson graduated high school, joined the army and became an army ranger. And they got married in high school or I'm sorry, they got married after he joined the army and he was on a deployment cycle and they had a little baby boy named Braden Thomas McPherson. He was, he was 18 months old. My wife, I believe was 22 or 23. He was on deployment. Tommy was on deployment. He was about two weeks from coming home and they got in a vicious, vicious gunfight. And Tommy heroically while fighting and defending his team was shot and killed on a rooftop in Afghanistan. And there's a whole story about how he died. He was initially shot. He knew he was shot through the lungs. He reported on the radio. He was shot in the leg. He was applying, you know, self-aid. But the, the reason is, is because he knew his team would have to move across an exposed area. And, and I always like think about what did Tommy, what was that? I mean, because he, he, died on that rooftop. He was communicating and he was, I know he was thinking about his 22 month old son, Brayden, and, and he was thinking about his wife. And what's really odd about this story is that Rangers don't have sons. They have girls. We call it this Ranger curse. (laughs) It's true. They, they brought a specialist out because we just don't produce 
boys. None of us. None it's of so us. funny you say that. I I grew up. Uh, he was like my second dad. Total. Totally looked up to him as a kid. His name's Pete Pilkey. Just like six four, like all muscle, larger than life type of guy. And he had two daughters, and it was <laughs> it was almost comical. And and he would always say, "God gives girls." To men who can protect them. That's right. <laughs> I, so they they refer to it as a ranger curse, but in hindsight, I have two little girls now. But I, I call it the ranger blessing, and I think it's because God knows what we need, and mm. and men like us tend to need little girls to be softened and approachable and and rounded out. But Amen. Tommy had a son, so Tommy has a legacy that lives on. And so here's where the story gets pretty interesting. My wife, she entered into what she explains as a marriage with God for the next seven years. So instead of shying away, being angry, asking God why, she doubled down mm. and she leaned in and she raised Braden. And I always say, how did you raise Braden by yourself? And she's like, I didn't. I didn't. I had a co-parent. Like God was with me that whole time. And so, and I'll try to make this part really fast. She went back home to California. She was 22, 23. You know, she had a little baby. She went back with mom and dad and she had a community. Tommy's parents were there. Everybody lived in the neighborhood. They poured into her. They fed her. They housed her. She just regrew. She got involved with the church and she she came to know Jesus more deeply. And she was praying one night um, about seven years later, six years later. She was praying one night and she felt like the Lord spoke to her and said, you need to get in your car and you need to leave home because you're not going to grow here. Hmm. And um, <laughs> she's like, that's crazy. I'm not leaving here. Why would I leave here? Well, where am I going to go? I have no support. Yeah. And she felt like the Lord said, you need to go to Washington. And <laughs> she's like, well, okay. She's like, so, all right, God, I'm going to ask Brayden. He's this little boy, six years yeah. old. If he wants to go to Washington, which why would he want to go to Washington? Then we'll go. So the next day she asked her son, hey, do you want to move to Washington away from grandma, grandpa, away from your friends and family, whatever? And and he said, yeah, mom, I want to go. Let's go to Washington. She's like, no, no, no. I, are you sure? You know, she's like trying to talk him out of it. And, Do you have um, any yeah. idea how much it rains in Washington, son? Totally. <laughs> and he said, yeah, I want to go. So she packed up the car. Her parents thought she was out of her mind. And she drove to Washington. And this is where our stories kind of collide. So she drives to Washington. She doesn't know anybody. She's getting integrated, unpacking, figuring, you know, it's a lot of pain. There's a lot of pain of you know, being back, the memories of Tommy and having a young baby and death notification. And she moves back and she gets connected with a friend of mine. My friend Tyrell and his wife instantly knew that she was back, reached out to her, and they started integrating as friends. They would host her for dinner. They would check up on her. Mm -hmm. They would do things as a family. Tyrell would take Braden on dates and Tyrell had a birthday that was coming up. And oh, check this part of the story out. My wife starts getting unsolicited phone calls one night. Phone's ringing, phone's ringing, phone's ringing. She's like, I don't know this number. It's a scam. She's hanging up. She starts getting voicemails from this number. Hey, this is Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Um, we want to give you a house. And she's thinking, what? I'm getting scammed. She's thinking, I'm getting scammed. Turns out there's this nonprofit organization called Tunnel to Towers who it was founded by this man named Frank Siller. And as the Twin Towers fell in 9-11, his brother was an FDNY firefighter. He was getting off work that morning. He was going to play golf with his brother. He drove through the Lincoln Tunnel and the first plane struck. He was listening to his, his scanner like, oh man, my company's going. I'm going to go. Well, he turned around to go back and they shut the tunnel down. So he called his brother and said, hey, listen, I'm not going to make golf. There's something going on at the Twin Tower. He put on all his bunker gear that was in the car of his truck. He ran a 5K through the Lincoln Tunnel, got to his firehouse, climbed Tower 2, and was never seen again. And his oh wife had, I, I think she had like four kids. They had a lot of kids. And his brother, Frank, from that day, started a nonprofit that would pay off all the mortgages of the widows of the NYPD and the mm. FDNY. Mm. <clears throat> well, after that was done... He started moving on to Gold Star spouses, spouses whose husbands were, had been killed in combat. There's only 10 women chosen. You could only receive a home if you hadn't remarried. You could only receive a home if you had a child with your spouse who was deceased. You could only receive a home if it was within a certain area and a certain price point. Well, because she moved back from California to Washington, it checked all those boxes and they called her. She was number 10 on the list. Okay. Oh my goodness. So, or she was within the first 10. Yeah. So she's thinking she's getting scammed. She ends up getting, they. she starts vetting this organization and, and I'm not kidding you, sure as heck, Tunnel the Towers 
buys her a mortgage-free home in Puyallup, Washington. Wow. Which is right down the street from Tyrell and his wife, Linda, who they were integrating as families. And, and Tyrell, you know, him and I hadn't seen each other for a number of years, and it was his birthday. And he calls me and says, hey, I want you to be at my birthday party. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll be up there. Well, I was a firefighter in Colorado, and I got scheduled on overtime for 4th of July, and I couldn't make his birthday party. And I was like, look, dude, I'm so sorry, but I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to come up there in October, okay, and we'll just spend some one-on-one time together. Well, it was right at that moment that I was recently out of that relationship. I had just returned from Israel. My engagement was broken up. Claudia had just moved to Washington. She was settled. And by complete happenstance, Claudia had it on her heart that she like wanted to just like honor her friends. And so she bought tickets to Chris Stapleton and they were driving to this concert. And by like a total happenstance, my friend Tyrell's wife, Linda, mentioned to Claudia, oh, you should meet my friend Tim. He's coming up here next month. And they told her the whole story about the engagement and marriage. And, you know, so we met and as friends, you know, and I was totally like not trying to get into a relationship. And my wife was obviously in a relationship with God and raising her son. Long story short, we were married nine months later. Oh my goodness. Now we have two little girls and I can really point and say like both of us had submitted to Christ and really Mm -hmm. became unanchored and just put our sails open. I just felt totally led, like God's hand in the middle of this relationship. And now Brayden, my son, you know, who can tell him stories about the missions Mm -hmm. that we did and show him pictures of, you know, everything we did was secret and classified and I can show him pictures and gear and tell him stories and what his deployment look like. And my friends are her friends. So we have the same friends that went on the same deployment cycles, the couples that we hang out as a married couple. You know, my wife went through that time in my life. Like I had no, what there's no other wife that could relate to, you know, dreams I have or struggles I feel. And we have this mutual relationship with other couples. And if you really just think like how God wove our relationship mm-hmm. into a need of my need and her need, and, and I was able to step in and start fathering Brayden and show him pictures and and be there to honor his dad's legacy and carry that on and and help raise him into a man. You know, it's really special. So we come back to Colorado and I'm a firefighter. And it's hard to become a firefighter. Yeah. Dude, testing and and you know, um interviews and it takes years. Average time to become a firefighter is like between two and five years, right? So I'm working in Colorado as a firefighter. She comes to Colorado, loves it. We're praying one night and she's like, babe, I think, I think God's like nudging me. I think we need to go back to Washington. And I was like, well, that's weird. Cause God's not nudging me that way. You know, like, I don't, I don't know what you're praying about, but that's not what I'm feeling. And she's like, no, seriously, I think you should pray about it. And I was like, all right. I was like, you're right. I was like, you know, God provided you that house up there. I was like, I'll tell you what, I'll apply for a job and you know, we'll see. I knew full, it was like a half-hearted promise, right? Because I knew like, yeah, five years from now, let's see if you still want to move. You know, it takes years, right? I went and tested. I flew on a weekend up to Washington. I tested in Kent. Okay. I flew back home (laughs) and two days later, I got an email. Hey, congratulations. We want to interview you for a position at South (laughs) King Fire and Rescue. And I was like, sure, I'll interview because those interview lists, even if you make it on the list, it's a two-year wait list, right? Oh, yeah. It was over Christmas, okay? So I was like, all right, I'll fly up to Washington. So I flew out and I I said, when should I book my ticket home for? Because normally you do phase one and then a phase two, and then you come back for a chief's interview. They're like, we're going to do all the testing. We have an emergency position to to fill. We're going to do all the testing over a four-day period. Just book a one-way ticket. If you don't make it past, you know, day whatever, then you just fly home. Well, four days later, I finished my final chief's interview. I was in the airport at SeaTac heading home, and I got an email notification that said, congratulations, you've tested number one on our list. Can you start work two weeks from now? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. So I was like, sure. So I packed up the house, put the kids and wife on a plane. I had a brand new baby girl, drove across from Colorado to Washington, started Fire Academy, and started the whole process over again. Academy, the book, six months back at the bottom of probation, the whole nine yards. I worked two years through um, through that time. COVID hit, and I had been working about 18 months through COVID, frontline, right? Responding to emergencies, had gotten COVID. And during that time, two years in, they decided, hey, we're going to enact a policy and we're going to make you get 
vaccinated. Which at the time I was like, well, I don't super love that because I had some vaccination injuries from the army. The army would do a lot of vaccination testing. And so I'm like, listen, man, I've played this game, right? The FDA takes years to come out with information. Like you can't just like have FDA approval that fast because I had vaccinations in the military that later on from the VA, I've gotten letters like, hey, man, uh, you should be aware that some of the vaccines that you had Sure. could be dangerous and you need to be on the lookout for these things. And so in my mind, I'm like, listen, I've already gotten COVID. I got plenty of time. Right. And I'm also kind of like, okay, God, what the heck, man? Like you called me here, everything just like a domino lined up. Like, why did you call me here? And I made my mind up. I was like, you know, I don't want to be forced to do this. And so well in advance, I was like, listen, if it comes down to this, like, I'm just not going to, because I'm already at risk. I've already had vaccination injuries, but it wasn't about the vaccine for me. People are doing what they felt is right with the information they had. But I remember showing up at work one day and there was these two women that worked where I work and they were literally on their hands and knees crying at work because they were told that they had to choose between feeding their family, which most people, that story that I just shared, that's not normal. Most people spend years trying to get that job. Yeah. It's a great job. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they were said, they, they were told either you get this thing or you're fired. And they hadn't had families yet, but they were young. They were in, one was freshly married, one was in a relationship. They wanted to have kids. They were, they, we didn't know would it impact fertility. Could you have children? And I remember I came into work one day. They were physically crying, physically crying at the coffee table, felt trapped. They were scared. And I, I walked in and it, that was the moment for me. I just decided, I was like, listen, my entire adult life has been in defense of autonomy, of freedom, of civil liberty. And this is my line. And I never want to walk into a workplace and see people physically crying on their hands and knees because they're forced into an action. And so I did the best I could. I fought it as far as I could, but ultimately was fired. So here I am. <laughs> I'm like, okay, God, face sales up, right? At the time, I have three now, but at the time I had two kids and I was unemployed, you know, and I I had taken some significant risks on the personal business side. I had been pretty over leveraged. I was building a real estate portfolio because I felt safe. I felt like mm -hmm. I have a safe job. And next thing you know, here I am way over leveraged in, you know, a total shutdown and I'm unemployed. I have two kids. I'm across the country. I have no support network. And that has been an incredible journey. Like that has just been a total walk with faith. Like God has been so paramount in that journey. And that's a whole other episode because where I am today is leaps at miles, miles from that moment. And it has nothing to do with me. I mean, obviously I, I drive, you got to pray with your feet moving. I've been moving my feet, like but that. it has been, it has been God's divine hand in my life that I've never once been hungry. I've never once not been provided for. God has just without fail showed up this entire time. And to your point, like God doesn't promise easy. He doesn't promise yeah. easy, mm -hmm. but he does provide. Yeah. And, and we're called to that adventure. We're called to submit and be faithful. You know, when he calls Abraham out of the tent, he's not like, it, you know, that's not an easy life. Abraham went and walked, but, but that's what we're called to do. We're called to submit and to follow. And I've really tried to live my life like that. And it's been so fruitful living in that submission. Man, I know we're in a podcast. So the last thing you want to do is drop the mic. Right. <laughs> but I, I feel like that man just needs a mic drop, like done. Right. So Number one, just thank you for your amazing service thank in you. so many different areas, right? Thank you for your heart. I can only imagine uh, as a ranger to be able to step into almost this biblical example of when a brother falls, the other brother steps in, like literally in Jewish law, right? Would step yeah. into that marriage. Oh my goodness. Like, you know, and even how that ties into part of your story. I mean, it's such a beautiful way that God has woven which in the midst of it, you, we don't know what this is. You don't totally. know what that looks like. But oh, to yeah. see his hand through all of that, man, that just, that, that makes me emotional. Yeah, it's a huge, huge blessing. And you know, what's, what's really important, I think, if we step back outside the story, when you're walking that journey, I cannot, I can't see these puzzle pieces. Yeah. Right? Like, I'm walking blind here. I don't have the foresight. Like, I don't have the understanding. You know, I, I always think about the book of Job. You know, Job's like, why, God? Why? You know, and ultimately God's like, were you here when I formed the earth? Do you understand the migration cycles of the goats or the patterns of the grass? No, you don't understand. Mm -hmm. It's not always for us to understand. But when we back out, 
obviously God, this is your grand design. And it's just most of the time I'm too stubborn to listen, to submit, to quiet the noise and really get out of my own way. And I think that's something that I really try to exercise the muscle of shutting my own human desire off and really listening to like, where's God trying to lead me? Because oftentimes if we just get out of our own way and go where God is leading us, it's it's going to be way more fruitful than the original place that we were trying to go. I, I think about that original engagement, not that she's a bad person, you know, people make mistakes, but my human desire was like, I'm going to go to this island. And I was fighting God so hard. He was blowing me to this other island. I was like, no, you know, no, God, I'm, I'm sailing to this island. And it wasn't until I was finally like, all right, fine, blow me to the other island that all this fruit, you know, from this amazing garden mm -hmm. has been harvested. You know, imagine it could have been a barren desert where I was trying to sail. And it's just like, you just got to get out of your way and let God lead you right to mm -hmm. the destination. I appreciate your story. I have so many questions for you, Tim. <laughs> One of the things that's going through my mind straight out of high school, went through military, made your way up the ranks, became a ranger. Like you, you are mentally trained to win and there is no backing down. There's no exit strategy, right? You're, you're at war and it's life or death. I'm really curious to hear how you reconcile this concept of having a military history with surrendering, because I can only imagine somebody with that background, like surrender doesn't exist in your vocabulary, you know? Yeah. Surrender is not a ranger word. It's actually in the creed. Surrender is not a ranger word, <laughs> but that doesn't mean that, um, you know, it doesn't mean that plan A is always plan A harder. Sometimes we have to be dynamic and we have to understand, like, sometimes we have to go with plan B or C. Our, our backup plan can't just be plan A harder. It's, it's just not how it always works. And so it's not, it's not like defeat. To surrender is not to defeat. And I think there's like some discernment of surrender versus quitting, right? To surrender mm -hmm. is not to quit, yeah. mm. right? To surrender to God is to, is to submit. Mm -hmm. But it is not to quit, right? It is not to quit. And so I think like as humans, when we think of surrendering, we're thinking only as like our human goal, our human intent. And, and I think really when we focus on like the biblical version of surrender, it's to get out of our human way and to submit to what where Christ is, is leading us. So I think that we have to differentiate how we define what surrender is as humans in the military context versus as spiritual followers of, of Christ, you know? Yeah, it's almost as if you're surrendering your ego and yourself totally. in that and recognizing there's a potential better way I'm willing to humble myself here to totally. open up and... Oftentimes, it's not what we want to do, yeah. you know, and I think that's like the most important thing. We have to really <laughs> exemplify Christ-like principles. We have to be selfless in our love for Christ, just like he was selfless in his love for us. And, and to be selfless means we have to do things that we don't always want to do. You know? Yeah. You know, you bring up the the notion of hard times, adversity, right? Chad and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago. James 1, verse 3 through 4, consider it pure joy, brothers, when you face trials and tribulations of many kind. Amen. Because yeah. it's going to bring fast steadfastness. Yeah. That steadfastness will produce character, completeness, right? Yeah. So, man, thank you for sharing your story. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think it's like our obligation to to reframe the perspective that we have, right? Like, it's one thing to to read those words in the Bible, you know. It's another thing to like put on the lenses and we have a choice every day when we wake up. We have a choice to live in gratitude, to be mm -hmm. thankful to God, to all the provisions that he's provided us. We have a choice to see things as like just like you were saying with Andrew Anderson like this thing is happening to me. Like why God? Why are you doing this to me, God, mm -hmm. you know? Or we can be proactive and take charge of our life and say, "Okay, God, how are you using this time in my life? How are you forming me? Because the truth is God made us strong and powerful. First and foremost, like I truly believe God made us with able bodies and, and capable of carrying heavy loads. Like God calls us to adversity. God doesn't call us to shy away, to, sh to shrink, to act in fear. You know, Christ doesn't walk around fearful like a scared field mouse. Never. We don't mm -hmm. see that. And we shouldn't make 
choices in, in fear. Amen. I think, you know, perspective, like how is God forming me? Because the truth is, is like, we're not done being formed. Like any time there's adversity in your life, it's a gift. It's a gift that God is blessing you with because a number one, you can handle it. And number two, he's forming you into something that he needs for the kingdom later, right? If you feel trapped or strained or pressed, you know, it's because he is forming you under pressure to become the leader in his kingdom that he needs you to be. You're you're unlocking the next level, the next chapter in your life. And, and it's really not about you. And if you kind of adopt that perspective and say, God, I'm excited for this challenge because, you know, I'm eager and able to to take this on because I'm here to grow your kingdom and do the good work, then I think we can have a lot more joy in those times of adversity. You were sharing with us before we started recording about this vivid vision book. Yeah. And I'm curious, we talked in a prior episode about Brent's personal mission and my personal mission and alignment and how much clarity that brings to us in our decision making and being able to say yes to certain things and confidently no to other things. I'm curious from you, you're doing really big things and you take giant leaps of faith. (laughs) You show such courage and from a distance, I've had the honor of being able to see all these things you're doing. You're a real action taker and and you just get out there and you keep putting one foot in front of the other. What is that mission or the vivid vision or visions that really allows you to move forward in the powerful way that you do? Yeah, that, this is an interesting conversation. And, and I, I, I want to be careful when I share this because I wrestle constantly with like, okay, is this something that I personally am wanting to do? Or is this something God's calling me to do? Is this an ego thing? Do I just want to build something because I, right. as a human want to build it. And I was just actually on a walk yesterday with a, with a guy I'm in a small group with actually, and we were wrestling with this. I was really asking for him to kind of poke holes in me and make sure that my alignment was with Christ. And I'm not just trying to build for my own personal ego, but I feel, and this goes back to that time in Israel when I was praying at the wailing wall. And when God spoke to me like, Hey, you're a tool to build my kingdom. I really feel called when I wake up in the morning, I feel like I'm challenged daily. Hey, are you living up to the potential in which I created you to perpetuate, to live up to? Are you using the giftings that I have blessed you with? Or are you sitting in gluttony and not using them? And every day I kind of like do an audit with myself of, did I use the full scope of my potential? Oftentimes the answer is no, but I believe that I'm trying to build something that is interwoven both in business and in building God's kingdom. Because I think, A, I believe in free autonomous humans. That moment in the firehouse where I saw people on their hands and knees crying, kneeling, kneeling to money, kneeling to the idolatry of a paycheck, I promised myself that I would never, ever kneel to anything but God. And it hurt my heart to such a level to see people in that position that I said, all of this risk I'm going to take, all this journey I'm about to embark in, I'm going to do it so I can teach people to be free and autonomous and so that they can only bow to God and not money. And I'm going to take these resources that I'm building. You know, money is just leverage. It's just a tool. And the more leverage I have, the more I can pour into building and expanding God's kingdom and and doing that work and pouring into resources that I believe in. There are people way more capable than me of growing God's kingdom, and they just need resources. And if I can be a catalyst, if I can use a blessing and, and do take big risks that they're unwilling to take so that I can pour resources to them to go take the risks that I'm unwilling to take, then that's what I want to do. And that's the purpose. That's why I'm taking these risks. That's why I'm not afraid of embarrassment or failure mm. because it's bigger than me. It's not my personal journey. It's God's kingdom and I'm going to fail and I'm going to come up short, but God calls us to that failure and through that failure. And, and that's why I really feel compelled and called to take those risks mm-hmm. and, and journey on. That's my purpose. That's what I love it. That's what I'm doing. I just got this visual of you out, outstretching your hand, putting on the person's shoulder, just like I'm doing to you right now and saying, I'm going to pray for you, right? It's extending that. Totally. And so I'd love to know more. And maybe this is where you're going. How can we learn more about that work that you're doing? The best place to follow along with that journey. And I talk about it constantly is on the podcast to point people towards that podcast, build that community. I want to teach people to be strong, to be fearless to be, you know, autonomous to to grow into their spirituality with Christ, to become the best husbands, the best entrepreneurs, the best citizens because look, 
we're all going to benefit. You know, a rising tide lifts all ships, as they say. And I really, really believe in that altruistic impact. The stronger we all become, right? Mm -hmm. The more discernment we have, the, the more we know what our purpose is and what we stand for and what our values are we're all going to benefit from that, right? The world isn't going to benefit from a bunch of weak humans, but from strong, godly humans. And so, you know, following that journey at the Dynamics podcast and growing that community. And then here's how you can help me. If you know that there is a entrepreneur out there with a heart for Jesus, who has a business that is budding and or struggling and needs resources, send them to me because I will feed them. I will find ways to feed them because I want to grow other Christian businesses because I believe in the work that they are doing. And I believe that their heart is good and that they will take the, that abundance and those resources and they will help me and join me in, in growing the kingdom. Amen. Amen. I love it. I don't want to stop, Tim. Yeah. What I'm hearing is like a know thyself from you. It's like, I know this is the area that I feel called in and driven to, and you're working towards that and recognizing I don't have it all figured out and I'm not good in all things. You're a great front guy, right? You can make things happen. You can get things on the move. That doesn't necessarily mean you're like the detail, like, you know, find those people that can surround totally. you. With, you right? nailed it. I am not the integrator, man. I need help cleaning things up, man. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's so good to recognize that. And I think that it's so true. And like Jesus designed us to be in community so we can all complement one another to benefit his kingdom. Kind of along this theme of suffering, um, I had a conversation when I was going through through my health battle, my friend Kyle Rohrbaugh, and he shared this phrase that I just love. And I don't remember who he originally heard it from, but it was, it was suffer well. Mm -hmm. And it just really stuck with me. And I think you have demonstrated suffering well, meaning no matter what you're put through, the challenges that you have to go through you get to ultimately decide how do you show up? What's your character through that? How do you choose to take another step forward and honor God in the way you're suffering? Yeah. And you shared a story that I, I think your wife had mentioned about this concept of a seed or a plant being planted in a greenhouse versus on the side of a mountain. Could you expand and share that with our audience? Yeah, totally. So, you know, th this concept of growing up in a greenhouse versus, you know, a plant on the side of a mountain and a greenhouse plant that matures inside of a greenhouse, the soil's perfect, the temperature's perfect, it's watered, it's it's manicured, it's tended to. If you remove that greenhouse and the temperature changes or a strong wind blows, those the branches are brittle and they blow over and they're not as well equipped and designed to handle adversity. Conversely, if you if you were to take a seedling that grows in the side of a rock face and a cliff and it's being pounded with extreme temperature swings and wind and hail and sleet, you know, <laughs> the longevity of that plant clinging for life, you know, the strength in those roots and the strength of that plant is going to far outlast one that is raised solely in a greenhouse and never exposed to adversity. And I think that there's something incredibly special or the adversity that we receive in our life because ultimately we aren't raised in a greenhouse and God doesn't call us to stay in a tent forever. Just like I was speaking about with Abraham, you know, mm -hmm. God calls us out of that tent. And I think we should be joyful. And I think we should be joyful in that adversity and struggle because it's God forming us. Yeah, that's great wisdom. To wrap up really quickly, sorry. You know, suffer well. I personally think, and hopefully I don't regret saying this later, I think that's one of the greatest tools we have as believers to gather non-believers is mm -hmm. how we suffer. Mm -hmm. Because we are living in a world where, look, there's no doubt, like sin is on the earth. The devil roams and he is trying to sow seeds of doubt and fear. And he wants this earth. He wants God's kingdom. And People are living in fear and uncertainty, and they are craving, they are craving leadership. They are craving light in a time of darkness, okay? And if there is one tiny insignificant spark, there can never be darkness. Mm -hmm. Just one tiny spark. And how we exemplify the principles of Christ as we suffer, the leadership capabilities and abilities that we have, the, the way we carry ourselves when we are treated unfairly, unjustly, as we suffer, there is no better magnifying glass on earth that can draw attention to something that is different about you. And that something that is different is those principles that Christ puts in your heart, mm -hmm. then how we suffer. And so I would encourage everybody listening 
who's a follower, to think very long and hard about when you're facing times of adversity. Are you walking upright with your shoulders back? Are you in gratitude? Because the truth is, is that there's somewhere worse everywhere. Every day there's somewhere worse. You have legs to walk. You have food to eat. You have a bed to sleep. You are provided for and cared for and loved. And how you suffer, how you suffer will be the leadership example that gathers the lost sheep. You need to suffer well because people are looking at you and there's nothing like strong leadership that is going to gather those lost people and, and grow God's kingdom. So please suffer well. Amen. Thank you, Tim. This was a real treat and we'll definitely have to have you back again. <laughs> got to have my wife, man. She's got a cool story. Yes. Yes. As always, if you've enjoyed the conversation, subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And if you're willing, leave us a review. We appreciate it. We want your stories. Do you have one to share or know someone else's that needs to be shared? Leave us a comment below and email us at thegivingexperience.org at gmail.com. And remember, give cheerfully and expect a miracle because one is on its way.